0: Two, one.
1: The
2: other side of the news is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from the other side of midnight.
3: We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus...
0: To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary. Based
3: on well-verified references edited through vigilance and discernment.
0: Our desire is
3: to awaken your imagination with questions.
2: Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community.
4: Learning new things,
2: asking questions, getting compelling answers.
0: And interesting viewpoints it's about curiosity
2: we present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind propelling you to see the world in another way propelling
3: you to see the world in
2: another way with clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events
0: tune in for a
5: balanced view of the other side of the news
2: Welcome. My name is Timothy Saunders. I am one of your trio of co-hosts on this 54th edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm speaking to you this early morning from southwest Turkey, which for many of you may be situated on the other side of the planet. As the dawn chorus begins to warm up in early summer mode here, hopefully many of you are relaxing into your evening. You get to hear some fascinating insights from our latest guest I will soon be joined by co-host and producer Kintia together with co-host and researcher Annette Driscoll who are speaking this evening as usual from the infamous wheelhouse nearby in San Francisco. This show is entitled Hunger Games. Can you recall how life on our planet used to be not so very long ago? Can you remember socializing with family, friends, or colleagues, perhaps spontaneously planning a trip to visit somewhere or someone special? to attend a family event, to explore with friends, or to progress your business at an exhibition or conference, not to mention holidays. Booking a flight online, the process was easy and the prices used to be incredibly affordable. Of course, the check-in pre-9-11 was a breeze. However, even after these three towers were brought down free full speed, air travel was relatively unhindered. I do not need to spell out the comparison with air travel today in this alleged pandemic reality that much of humanity is being programmed to dwell in as we have already covered this ad nauseum. However, just focus your mind on the idea of flying. I'm sure most of you have flown and many of you will have, at some stage chose the window seat. It is a remarkable sensation to look out at the horizon as we traverse our world at 36,000 feet. That's around 11,000 meters for those who think in metric. I fondly remember my father showing me some photos taken from his seat while cruising the skies on a transatlantic course at Mach 2 in a Concorde. It nearly doubled this height. Concorde, by the way, was one of my favorite childhood inventions, which I used to repeatedly draw through most of my pre-high school lessons. Anyway, what is most remarkable about these photographs? is they clearly show the natural curvature of the earth. You may be wondering why I wish to draw your attention to these airborne viewpoints. I've been fortunate to have flown over many of the world's continents during my career, and from countless hours while comfortably seated in my high altitude view, uh, viewpoint, I must admit two significant thoughts keep coming to mind. How extremely vast the earth is, and how on earth anyone can believe there is an overpopulation problem once witnessing our seemingly endless and diverse terrestrial terrains continue rolling under the aircraft while traveling at high speeds for hours on end, there is mostly not a person, not a house, nor a village, nor a town, nor a city to be seen as far as the eye can see. It is possible to fly for hours over ocean and land without seeing any sign of civilization. Surely the alleged overpopulation problem, which so bitterly fuels the ambition of today's eugenicists, who so keenly front the minority's agenda, simply does not exist. The total land surface area of Earth is about 57.3 million square miles, of which 33% is desert and about 24% is mountainous. Subtracting these uninhabitable 57% from the total land area leaves around 24.6 million square miles, or 15.77 billion acres of habitable land, Now with feet firmly planted on the ground, and when visualizing this vast surface area equally divided and allocated to each member of the population, there is surely no population problem. There is simply a management problem. The seemingly deliberate mismanagement of the earth's land and her resources falsely marketed to the masses via mainstream social media with a view to create a false perception yet another device to attempt to control the majority, to follow the agenda set out by the minority to their gain. You may choose to reflect on this, to pursue your own research. You may also wish to dismiss this, perhaps by referencing self-elected and unqualified fact-checkers who selectively reference keyhole views of science, ultimately using half-truths or pseudoscience to rock the minds of the masses back to sleep. Think about it. Could the overpopulation problem simply be another part of this grand scam? I believe this is yet another vein of lies to control the perception and therefore evolution of mankind. There is another slightly radical subject I'd like to broach with you this evening. And this is the inconvenient truth about Earth's climate, which was previously pushed on us as global warming, was then rebranded to climate change and has very recently been re by the six media propagandists as climate emergency. Keith, please play Sandex Erte.
6: Idea of climate change, Professor Klein. Well, thank you for coming. I'm a geologist. And the one thing that we miss out on in looking at climate change is the past. Climates have always changed. Climate changes in the past have been greater and faster than anything we experience in our lifetimes. And sea levels have always changed, not by the modest couple of millimetres that people are having connections about, but we've had in the past sea level changes of only 1,500 metres. That's a sea level change. And if we look back in the history of time, The atmosphere once had a very large amount of carbon dioxide in it. It's now got less than 0.04%. Where did that carbon dioxide go to? It went into chalk, limestone, shells and lice. And we've been sequestering carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere for only 2,500 million years. This planet has been degassing carbon dioxide since it first formed on that Thursday, 4,567 million years ago. Carbon dioxide is a natural gas. It has dominated the atmosphere for an extraordinarily long period of time, and we now are at a dangerously low level. If we halved the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, we would have no terrestrial plants. Carbon dioxide is plant food. It is not a pollutant. To use words like pollution with carbon dioxide is misleading and deceptive. But the past gives us a wonderful story. In the past we've had six major ice ages. We are currently in an ice age. It started 34 million years ago when South America had the good sense to pull away from Antarctica and there was a <laughs> circumpolar current set up which isolated Antarctica and we started to get the Antarctic ice sheet. We've had periods of glaciation and interglacials. We are currently in interglacial. And during that 34 million years, we have refrigerated the Earth. But for less than 20% of time, we have had ice on planet Earth. The rest of the time it's been warmer and wetter, and there's been more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. And what did last do? It thrived. Six of the six great ice ages were initiated when the carbon dioxide content of the atmosphere was higher than now. In fact, up to a thousand times higher. So we have, from the geological evidence, absolutely no evidence that carbon dioxide has driven climate. For some odd reason, the major driver of climate is that great fall of heat in the sky, which we call the sun.
2: This is an excerpt from a significant speech given by Dr. Ian Rutherford-Plimmer, Professor Emeritus of Earth Sciences at the University of Melbourne, Professor of Mining Geology of the University of Adelaide, and Director of Multiple Mineral Exploration and Mining Companies. I highly recommend you listen to the full speech. The link can be found in my section. He, along with many other respected and credentialed individuals, have been speaking out and sharing their views based on their scientific data on climate truth for decades. However, like so many other originators of truth today, these people are censored in order to remove any undesirable opposition to the minority's long-established and crawling agenda, headed up by weak puppets such as Bill Gates, His fingers firmly jammed into all sorts of pies. If we do not really have an overpopulation problem, and if our climate simply follows multiple and sequential natural cycles, then why are we headed for major food shortages within one or two seasons from today? Are you prepared for this? I very much look forward to hearing our guests' perspective regarding this essential awakening process, all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofmidnight.com, click on the other side of the news in the drop-down menu, or kindly scroll down to tonight's white The Other Side of the News show banner. There you will see details for the show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there is a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to most of which has been handpicked from independent sources. I urge you to study them, and even download your own copies sooner than later, as the censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. Now, during the last seven days, we have once again been inundated by a deluge of remarkable events and headlines, reports, and news to discuss, validate, and present each topic in correct context, could all too easily fill up an entire show by itself as the other side of the news is not, per se, a typical news show. And in order to make the best use of our available airtime, I believe we should plot a direct course to greet the rest of our team and to introduce our special guest, Christian Westbrook, otherwise known as the Ice Age Farmer. Good evening, Kintia. Good evening, Anessa. Are you overpopulated?
7: Only with cats. (laughs) Uh... That's
2: the answer I was hoping. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
7: That's the truth. Yeah. Oh, boy. So you're not kidding about uh, all the things going on on the planet. There is, like every week, it's been increasing. I did want to cover just a few things that are going on, though, that are so important. There's, of course, very funny things going on, like the World Council decided to put Iran on the board for women's rights, which, if you think about the irony of that, it will just kind of make your day, except that they're serious. And then, you know, we have all these other things going on. We have this stuff in Germany, which is, uh, you know, a lot of Americans may not be aware of it, but they actually passed a, a law yesterday, uh, which is enforcing the vaccinations and a lot of other permanent things around COVID, which are completely and utterly against the uh, Nuremberg treaties. And so they have actually have a second Nuremberg tribunal scheduled right now. And Rainer Fulmick is is leading that cause. And he has had many interesting cases. He brought the one against uh, Volkswagen with their catalytic converters. And he also brought one against Deutsche Bank, which was about all their fraudulent bank deals. And what's fascinating is that just a few minutes ago, I found he's bringing the case against the people at Davos for the COVID-19, we call it the pandemic here on this show, but the whole idea of this, the whole plan. And a lot of those people actually are in Deutsche Bank. And Deutsche Bank just really got nailed with, they're caught with their pants down, literally, um, very involved with the Jeffrey Epstein situation with child trafficking and sex trafficking, uh, organ harvesting, etc. And they already have a fine slapped against them for $150 million, and that's just the start. So we're we're going to see a lot coming out of that. I think this is my opinion right now, but we're starting to see these governments are doing things that are really overstepping which gives the people the right to bring those governments down and i do believe that's what we're going to see i do think we're going to see the fall of germany very quickly and i don't mean that in a bad way just like Myanmar uh, is, is cleaning house over there even though the propaganda uh, monsters in the, in the mainstream media would would lead you otherwise but if you look at the real um, tracking of that you'll see that the people never wanted to elect this person that was in office, and they wanted her out. And the reason that they kept getting reelected was because, guess what, they had Dominion voting machines with Smartmatic software. So, you know, really, there's nothing you can do with that. So the only way you can come in is bring in the military. But you know that it was uh, that we're getting a false story, a false narrative, because the protests were paid for by the George uh, source open foundation and when they closed uh, those bank accounts down which is something like the Deutsche bank thing we're going to see coming up they stopped protesting because you know those protesters they don't like doing it for free and all the signage that they had was you know in english i went over this last week uh, was in english it clearly wasn't for the people of Myanmar. so uh, they, they have a different alphabet they have a different language those signs aren't really readable for most people there there's just a lot of that kind of thing going on speaking of dominion those the wonderful Dominion voting machines. So I think most people know that there's a serious audit going on in Arizona. And what some people might not realize is, is Maricopa County in Arizona constitutes 65% of the voting in the entire state of Arizona. Uh, it also is a um, county that has not elected a Democratic president in their voting um, since Truman. Okay. So it has a long history. So it's very odd that all of a sudden that it would flip when there was no support. It also has a Republican House of Representatives there. So this is interesting. The Senate, in, the Senate and the House in the, that state are Republican. If you know me at all, you know that I'm not partisan. It's not about that. I only use those terms to describe what actually is where these people stand they had a problem because the board of supervisors did not want to do an audit and the people of arizona wanted an audit because they were like we know damn well right we didn't vote for this guy and something's wrong here and so they pushed their senators and they pushed their representatives and said hey we want we want to have a a real recount and uh, it went back and forth and eventually it went to court and um and The the audit's on. So it it was a big deal. They didn't want it moved. It ended up having to be moved, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff goes on. And they, they start the audit today. Today Today's the big day start of the audit. And all of a sudden now the democratic party sends in 73 of their top attorneys that says, Oh, you know, we can't, there's, it's not right. We have to have a, we have to have a stay of audit. In other words, we want it to stop until Monday. So the judge said, fine, we can, we can award that, but you'll have to pay a $1 million bail. So they didn't want to do that. Now you can look at that and say, well, why would that be? You know, I mean, put on your critical thinking brain and think, why would that be? Is it because they knew that they would end up costing a huge amount more, which I'm sure they would, because it would delay the whole process and it's a very expensive process. But my little mind thinks, no, it's probably not that. I mean, with the amount of, And and I hope I'm wrong. Okay, I'll tell you right now. I hope I'm wrong. But I'll tell you, these people, these uh, judicial people, they they aren't to be trusted by and large. And Amy Comet Bryant just got another $2 million book deal again this week. You know, this is called money laundering. This is how they do it. This is one of the big things. Think about Como, Think about all these people. Uh, Como, by the way. Oh, great story. Like, not only did he kill 15,000 people in a nursing home, have 10 women come up against him and say, you know, it's for, for, uh, misconduct sexually. But now it turns out, yeah, that $6 million book deal he had and all that, he had his staffers writing the book and doing all the work on it, which is completely and utterly unconstitutional by the New York constitution. So we'll get back to that at some point in the next couple of weeks. I'm sure we're not done with that story, but anyway, yeah, back to Arizona. So, um, They they uh, So they said, okay, you know, but I think, you know, it's possible that they might stop the thing Monday. I don't know, but eventually the truth will come out. The thing is, is what everyone should be questioning is why is the Democratic Party so incredibly uh, opposed to having an audit? If there was no problem with the election, then we could just have an audit and it would prove there's no problem. So, you know, it doesn't take a lot of, of scratching different body parts to think, hmm what's happening here so uh that's still going on of course there's all this stuff going around the the um, uh immigration with the border and you know we don't i mean I've, I've i've covered that ad nauseum but it still isn't any better and the the numbers just keep rising the numbers are even greater than we started covering this about what, a, two months ago and it's just every month they're they're higher and higher this is a disaster what they're finding now is there's even more people coming. From uh, Yemen and places like that, up through the Mexican border, it apparently is pretty easy to fly into these other countries and then come up through, across the border. The one good thing is that they are catching some of them, but my guess is with that number of people coming over that they're not catching most of them. And then they're very concerned about there's a lot of drugs. Of course, there's a lot of child trafficking, which they don't want to talk about. But there it is. So there's all that going on, and. You have to ask the question: What's really happening? with Zuckerberg put three million dollars into Maricopa County for the voting there, and you've got, and that's where Phoenix is located, by the way. And uh, then you've got uh, Maricopa adjudicated two hundred thirty-five thousand three hundred ninety-two ballots. Uh, that's not a small number when the uh, the margin of winning was only eleven uh, thousand um, votes. So clearly. You know, if we if we look at what happened in Georgia, we know what's happening there. That's why they don't want anyone to uh, see that. So there's all of that going on. Oh, he actually only won by let's see, I got my numbers here by 10,456 votes. Okay, Um, in theory, anyway. So there we go. There's some funny things going on. And uh, uh, Marjorie Green Taylor, she's a junior representative uh, from Georgia. She decided to take on AOC this week about climate change and um, so there was a little volley back and forth and AOC who isn't the brightest candle on the the whole chandelier there uh, said well you have to read my 14 page document that I wrote about climate change so Marjorie said okay sure okay and then she went back and there's actually a paper like okay well I'm ready to schedule that that, uh, debate on the floor so I'm sure we'll be seeing that, that should be pretty entertaining. It's gotten to be a real shall we say shit show Anyway, back to climate change. That's actually related to what we have going on tonight with our guests, and I can't wait to get to. There's a big uh, international conference going on, or I don't know what you call it, a a summit or something like that. I don't remember what they called it. But it's all the international heads of the international community from all over the world, and it's virtual. Those of you that know me at all know, I'm not real fond of what's happening in Washington, D.C. And so guess what? Our residents there... He, uh, he's the only one with a mask on, and it kind of reminds me of my stepmother screaming at me on the phone telling me that I was I was going to give her COVID. That is, over the phone. Kind of that way. Okay. He has a mask on while he's in this international thing, uh, video conference. It's like, hello? I don't know. It just makes you kind of wish that uh, <laughs> we had someone else at the head there. Okay. And then let's not forget that CNN very clearly in that undercover – expose that Project Veritas, and if you haven't watched it, Project Veritas had that thing with Charlie Chester. He clearly stated that Code was kind of losing its luster as far as a fear manipulator and numbers uh, generator for their ratings. And their ratings, by the way, all mainstream media is just falling into the toilet and it's flushing. The next thing they said very clearly would be climate change, and they could make climate change run for a really long time because people just really don't understand it. And it's this just overarching thing, even bigger than COVID. I can hardly wait. With that, I'm going to close the world review. We could go into, and I would encourage you to look into the world events as far as all the uh, military maneuvering, et cetera, this week. Uh, many places have been bombed. Many uh, troops have been moved. Uh, if you're doing flight tracker, all the military equipment's been moved all over the world. There's much rattling of sabers, and uh, Russia has directly said if the U.S. intervenes, then it's big doo-doo for us. With that, I'm going to pass it back to Kynthia.
0: Good evening, everyone. I'm happy to be here. This is Kynthia. You're listening to The Other Side of the News. Our guest tonight is Christian Westbrook, and the show is called Hunger Games. Co-hosting with me are Timothy Saunders, Annette Driscoll, and myself, Kinthea.
3: Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Kaufman, Natural Healing Consultant. Welcome to The Other Side of the News, where they're open to hearing the truth and take it seriously. The first thing you got to look at is the methods like nothing else matters because that's where they describe the experiment So then you can decide if what you can conclude from the experiment <laughs> right mm-hmm. and then that, that's really really important because You know they make false claims and people don't understand how to use statistics and all these things could be misleading what I notice that they do now is They put the methods section at the very end and in some papers, it's in a separate document. That's like an addendum. So in other words, they just present the the results and conclusions and an introduction section and nobody looks at the methods, but that's the most important thing. Because if you don't know that you don't actually know what they did because, you know, there's a lot of art to experimental design. And, uh, you know, some people can be very clever about it. Some can be very elegant about it, but there's also like a many ways that things could be fudged and there's books on this, right? Like one of Bill Gates' favorite books, how to lie with statistics. And, you know, you have the John Ioannidis article, which is one of the most highly cited papers where he says more than half of all published research is false. Right. So, mm. but but how many scientists, when they go to read a paper, say there's a 50% chance that this article is false. So I better read it really carefully, right? They don't do that. But all this clinical research, it's really just it's really marketing. It, that's that's what it is. It's not actual research. With this the vaccine trials, you know, it, it's just they basically designed it exactly perfectly to show what they could say. You know, that bogus 95% effectiveness, uh, that's the the relative risk reduction of having a test, and it's not even the overall risk reduction would be like 0.4%, but they describe it that way. It's a statistical trick where they could say 95%. And they also defined the outcome. And then they had to wait seven days after the vaccine. But all the people who got sick within that seven days didn't count. You know, all hmm. kinds of uh, tricks. The they're, they're, they're experts <laughs> at this. They know, yeah. they know what they're doing. And, and it's really hard to even figure out what they're doing.
0: And welcome back to the other side of the news. Our guest tonight is Christian Westbrook, also known as the Ice Age Farmer, co-hosting are Annette Driscoll, Timothy Saunders, and myself, Kinthea, and the show is called Hunger Games. So before we bring him on, I just wanted to give an uplifting note to our audience. I know that we have been really hammering hard the vaccines and the damage that they do. And many of you know that I have a personal interest in this because my youngest son decided that he would take it. He's a school teacher. Knowing what I know, of course I'm concerned and I'm sure a lot of you who have loved ones are very concerned. So I wanted to bring a message from Bruce Lipton, Dr. Bruce Lipton. He's an internationally recognized leader bridging science and spirit and He is considered to be the father of epigenetics. He's won the Govy Peace Award, and he's spoken on, you know, many stages around the world. His book, Biology of Belief, really brought him forefront. So I want to play a little excerpt from his webinar last Saturday. It's going to start out with a guy asking a question, and then Bruce answers him. So Keith, would you please play that sound excerpt?
8: One of the reasons that I am not taking this vaccination is because uh, 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 the cold has been around for years. They haven't made a vaccination for the cold, and they're both coronavirus. Same with the flu. The Cochrane Foundation says it's totally uh, worthless. So if you can't fix a cold, why should I believe that you can fix this other thing with this, what I consider a false paradigm of how we heal ourselves, you see what I'm saying? What do you think about that? Well, uh, one of the most important things right away is your thoughts make a difference on that vaccine. There are some Mm -hmm. people who believe in that vaccine so much, it's like a placebo effect. Right, okay. might be totally useless, but their belief is so strong in it that Uh they're gonna impact their life. I can now on my platform, on uh, this network of biology of belief, uh, acknowledge something uh, that we must start with first of all and that is this the vaccine does not stop you from getting COVID there is there's no vaccine that stops COVID right its function was to reduce the severity of the, well, so the, that's the, it okay? <laughs> now but then comes this well who are the ones that have a severe reaction and then it turns out less than 20% of the people and more close you know close to 10 percent because 80% or more of the people have had COVID, not, was never strong enough to go see a doctor, right. never bad enough to Absolutely. go to a hospital. Uh, and so basically it says, then the vast majority of people can live through this. And uh, my point as a uh, biologist and teacher of immunology is if you want the best protection from COVID, then the best thing is to get COVID. because I totally agree the agree with The immune system can produce... Absolute, a range of antibodies to knock that thing right out. Okay, I totally agree with that. And the okay. vaccine is an experiment, right? And, I totally uh, and, agree. Uh, and from a let's give a factual science piece right here. Uh, it's called synthetic genetic therapy. Synthetic genetic therapy. When you are using nucleic acids, right. messenger RNA, DNA, uh, and, and here's a fact of science. You ready? It's yeah. illegal to you, It's illegal according to the government. Uh, to use this on humans, but, ah, escape, call it a vaccine, emergency right. use, right. and all of a sudden yeah. they're giving uh, people, uh, the, you know, the, the, free to, the right to create this. If I didn't call it a vaccine, you were not, it's not even allowed to be given to humans. That's right. That's what Kerry Uh, uh and, and so my answer is this, stay healthy.
0: So that was Dr. Bruce Lipton, and his insights are really worth paying attention to. Tonight, we have a really amazing guest, Christian Westbrook. He's a permaculturist, homesteader, and father. Christian's background is in artificial intelligence, and he has a deep love of humanity. He is also the founder of Ice Age Farmer, which looks deeply into the future of our food supply. From the agenda to defile and centralize control of it to how these challenges must inform our responses, a rapid move back to decentralized regenerative food systems. He produces videos, interviews, tools, growing degree days, crop loss map, wiki, and maps. In order to shed light on the myriad of risks to our food system and how to inspire us to grow our own food. So welcome to the show, Kristen. Are you there?
9: I sure am, Yeah. Thank you so much all for having me this evening.
0: Well, we're really delighted. And I am so curious to know how you began this journey. I always like to delve into the person and what their experience is. So there must have been something that was the aha moment when, you felt like, wow, there's something to take a look at here. What was that for you?
9: Mm-hmm. Great question. And I love hearing the same thing from everybody, like, how did you wake up? How did that happen? For me, it was a series of ahas, some mini ahas, and then some big ones along the way over a series of years as it sort of looks down the various you know, aspects of uh, different rabbit holes from the financial system. And Um, To uh, everything, right? The climate, I really uh, appreciate that Timothy opened the show with Ian Rutherford talking about the fact that there are natural cycles of climate on this uh, planet. And it was, so that was one of the bigger ahas for me that really launched me into this current line of research was that if you look at the Club of Rome and the UN agenda through the IPCC to impose a zero carbon future, what that actually means is a total control over humanity, complete control over all aspects of economic activity, resources, complete awareness, all of these things are tied into that uh, core agenda. And so it seems to me that that was the place to really focus the effort. And so as I looked into that, I saw, as Dr. Rutherford was saying, um, that there are natural cycles of the sun, right? That anyone that actually looks back beyond the last 30 years of being told that the earth is warming and that we're entering, you know, a fiery hothouse oblivion future if we don't completely give our sovereignty over to the United Nations, um, you see that there are cycles of the sun and that 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 those drive cycles of climate on this planet. And we can talk a bit about that if you'd like. But that for me was really the the aha moment that said, OK, this is where we need to focus our efforts. We need to educate people here. And it was again, it was chiefly that when the sun drops into what's called a grand solar minimum, which is happening now, we've been enjoying uh, about 80 years of a grand solar maximum, where it gives sort of a lot of solar output. There's lots of solar activity, many sunspots, and this translates to it affords us very stable growing conditions on the earth that um, during these last 80 years of stable growing seasons, that's when we really stood up all of modern agriculture, all of these monocropping at scale systems that are quite bespoke for those stable growing seasons. And so as we depart from that part of the cycle and the sun drops off, what we're experiencing now and what you can see in the news, certainly that snowing in parts of the Corn Belt this week. I'm supposed to get snow this weekend. It's, you know, late April. Um, there's been crop losses that are severe all around the world. This is exactly aligning with what has happened in the previous cycles, the Dalton minimum, the Maunder minimum. And I find it really insightful to look at um, the history of how those cycles played out and how they informed human activity on the planet. In fact, what I put person? a... a yeah, I,
0: yeah. I'm, I'm just curious is this are we heading like into a mini ice age because I keep hearing that instead of it warming up we 're actually going into a mini ice age
9: I would say absolutely, um, and I would only qualify that by saying it 's probably more accurate to say that we 're losing the stable growing seasons, so while I, I do think we 'll see temperatures drop off the the chief thing that we 'll experience and we, we are experiencing. is is the shrinking of the growing season on both sides. Uh, The the wavy jet streams, it's called meridional flows, and that's associated with the uh, galactic cosmic rays that we're getting because we don't have that protective energy from the sun, the solar wind, to blow it away. So we get more of this interference from space, and that derives different uh, jet stream patterns and flows in the ocean. All of these um, whittle away at the growing season that we have known recently. All of us have grown up. And um, well, and so that's why I focus on agriculture. Yeah.
0: Do we have like new technologies that perhaps they didn't have in the past so we can take the best advantage of shorter growing cycles?
9: We uh, clearly, we have tons of technology. And this would be the question of <laughs> who's, who's in control of that technology. You know, as Timothy said, it's a management problem. And the problem here is that um, the powers that shouldn't be don't have any interest in actually making our agriculture more resilient. They're not really not interested in making sure that we can feed the people. They see this instead as an opportunity to seize total control. And they know that uh, food can be used as a weapon to gain control. Um, I also think that the you know the fact that the sun is dropping off, and after solar cycle 25, right about 2030, is when it's predicted that the sun's output is going to reach this new minimum level, and that aligns completely. And I would suggest that that is actually what's driving this agenda to nail down a lot of these control structures by 2030. That's why this is the decade of action, as the UN calls it, where we'll feel, in their own words, we will feel vertigo because of how rapid all these changes are. But none of those changes, as you're asking, are um, are related to making existing good indigenous agricultural practices more resilient. They don't you know, take good heirloom genetics of seeds from around the world and share them out to where we could actually weather this storm. Instead, they suggest it's, well, first of all, they say what we're experiencing is global warming and it's our fault. And so we need to eliminate the carbon emissions. And to do that, we have to stop farming and ranching completely. We need to move farming indoors and use, you know, hydroponics and chemicals to grow our plants. And we need to eliminate animal agriculture altogether and uh, use synthetic lab-grown meat. And this is not some speculation. We, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, Bill Gates stood up and said, we should all be eating 100% synthetic lab-grown meat. And of course, he's Jeez. the guy that's that's funding. He's, he's the guy that's funding and, and, multiple and meat companies.
0: I've also heard that they're outlawing buying seeds.
9: They're, they're, Yes, they're whittling away at this slowly, and it's most pronounced right now, and there's the best amount of pushback. I recently did a report on farmers in Croatia because they, you know, it's it hasn't been as long for them, and they still remember how they used to live, right? They used to be, and there's a great piece about this, it used to be that one village would have you know, one variety of carrot, and it might be short and stocky and orange, and the next village over would have a, a long purple carrot, and it just sort of went that way, and you would trade seeds with your neighbors. But if you were starting your farm out, you could sort of go from village to village and get a bunch of these seeds and then plant all of them, and you would have these these amazing heirloom genetics that would grow up, and, you know, if one, if it got too cold, maybe one of those varieties would fail, but the others would succeed. And so you can see that by maximizing the genetic biodiversity in your plantings, you really, and this is, you know, this is a a common theme in regenerative agriculture is multiple varieties in your cover crop, you know, just maximize biodiversity at all times. It makes the farm, the food production more resilient. And it also, frankly, it translates into more diversity in your diet means that you're a healthier person. It means you've got a a healthier gut biome. And so it's just, it's better for everybody, but this is the way that uh, humanity has always existed. We've always had, you know, uh, if my crops failed, I could go to my neighbor and get some more potatoes and sort of be, you know, make it through and then start back again next year. It was never that we all relied on indoor technology-driven farms to feed ourselves. So they are, they are um, whittling away at something that's very, to me, this is something that's very core about what makes us human. And I think mm-hmm. this is also because it is a, at the heart of this is the transhumanist agenda. And when you look at food enough, you realize that it's not just sustenance. Food is very much who we are and it's our culture, our holidays in various cultures around the world are tied to the harvests and the planting calendars and the, you know, the celebrations around those things. So if you wish to divorce people from that kind of uh, core essence of their humanity, then of course you have to do away with their diet. You have to feed them these synthetic foodstuffs. And so all of this plays into it. Yeah. Uh,
0: It's mind boggling. I don't, think that people ever even imagine that the wickedness could go that far they don't have a clue it's like they're slipping into some tar pit and they don't even know it i mean or you've heard the analogy of a frog in the water that you're slowly heating up the water till the frog boils i mean people are asleep to this it's just amazing
9: you're right and it's you know I have some compassion there because what we're going through is an inhuman agenda right this is a, I think it's a spiritual battle it's so evil that no one would even imagine that someone would try and do this to someone else so we're, we right. are at a disadvantage because of how ridiculous this whole thing is yeah
0: Mhm I'm actually really glad you brought out the spiritual aspect of it and I'm hmm, wondering how you see this food shortage in relation to waking people up in to the awareness that they are more than who they think
9: they are interesting yeah i think that um well all of it i think the food shortage is a big part of it but even just the events of the last year during the pandemic all of these agendas have launched into complete overdrive it's just been a blitzkrieg of how quickly can we whittle away at your freedoms and impose a perfect control structure uh, flawless surveillance from above, from below, from from, the, from everywhere. Um, bring in the social credit score, the digital cryptocurrency dollars, you know, all of these things that were sort of brewing and you could maybe read between the lines here or there or see a, a, a think tank do an exercise about it somewhere, but it's all just rolling out right now at the same time. And I think this might be sort of what you're suggesting is that if any one of these had really started to go um, full scale into implementation before 2020, you know, i think people would have resisted i think there would have been a, a rising awareness and a push back and that's why it, it, it's it was instead a slow crawl for a long time let's see how far we can get with our gmos let's see how far we can get with um you know the data surveillance through social media and these things and only now this last year when they pulled the trigger on covid did all of these things actually they just they said okay this is it then they're all coming together and what what it's really critical that people realize is that not to to take uh, any one of these things and just focus on it and say, well, this is the battle of our day. And if we can just get rid of GMO, then we'll be fine. Because it is actually that all of these things that I've enumerated are all coming together. They're all bars that are coming together in perfect time to create a, a jail around us, a prison planet. And so it's really a, a holistic situation that we need to become aware of.
0: So, I know that Annette is just itching to jump in and this looks like the perfect segue for it. I'm sure she has something to say about it. Annette.
7: Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. So hi, Kristen. Um I I wanted to actually there's so many things I want to talk to you about. I'm sitting here with my, my Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds catalog right here on my desk. Nice. And uh yeah, I love all that stuff. And um yeah, I I totally I totally hear you. Um I wish I had a garden. I wish I had a place that I could garden. That's what I'm trying to do. But anyway, I wanted to talk to you, go back a little bit about this agenda. Uh, obviously on our show, we cover all these different aspects about this agenda. And it, yes, it did come. I think that the idea was to just overwhelm people with things so they couldn't fight back on each individual thing. It just and I, I think a lot of people just shut down and just said, "I just I can't do anything. So that's, that's one thing I want to get back to is what can we do, and I, and I will get back to that. But the the other thing is, is about this um, agenda with Bill Gates and buying up the farmland and what he's doing with that and saying, you know, we need these synthetic needs, which is just freaking ridiculous, right? I mean, we know we know what a carbon dioxide is. It actually helps the plants grow. It's a fertilizer for the plants, and we know that unequivocally from I don't know seventh grade science class you know when you did that thing with the bell jar and the seaweed but anyway I wanted to to talk about that and also was about now it's two weeks ago when the ever given got stuck and we had the um, that whole thing and the Turkish uh, newscast that said that it was a bunch of stuff around climate change and to control the food supply so I wanted to bring up that topic and get your feedback on what you thought was going on there
9: yeah, I did see that Turkish broadcast. And I wish that I could talk to that guy and sort of ask him for sources or more information, because that's all I had was just the, you know, the the captions on, on him claiming that it was actually some crazy plan to tie Bill Gates and 5G to the destruction of the soil. Um, I don't myself have any data to, to back that up. And so I try and refrain from speculating too much about it, um, but it's obviously the case that Bill Gates has been doing the, you know, we've heard of the Scopex. He's working with uh, David Keith at Harvard to launch a geoengineering project there. He was also working with a European country to launch a project to deploy chalk into the atmosphere, although that one got canceled after the, the media buzz. So so clearly Bill Gates has his fingers all over this and, and, and trying to end animal agriculture. As I said at the outset, he's one of the primary funders of Impossible Foods, whose stated mission is to end animal agriculture. And the only reason you do that, you know, if, if, if they genuinely believed that they had a better product, then you would just introduce it, right? You would say, here's our burger. We made it out of plants. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. But we'll, if you don't, we'll, we'll try and innovate it, and make it better. That's how the free market is supposed to work. You don't come out and try and end. The other industry that's the competition is sin approach and that really betrays the uh the whole idea here that this is a it's not about food it's not about saving the earth from global warming gone awry it's about control it's about taking control over the genetics of the seeds it's about ending your ability to grow your own food and that's why that yeah that's why you you hit on criminalizing seeds and now on this fake meat and calling animals dirty and dangerous. And in fact, I was also glad that you mentioned the climate conference that happened this week, with Joe Biden getting up yesterday and announcing the new targets for uh, CO2 emissions heading to zero. You know, following the uh, the IPCC and the UN World Food Systems Summit recommendations, he actually put out some targets yesterday that um, speak to eliminating 90% of beef beef consumption over just the next few years here, which is. You know, if you sit with that for a second and realize there are millions and millions of, of uh, cattle being raised by millions of ranchers across this nation who would just be put out of business. Not to mention the effects it would have on our diet and our health. Eliminating beef is it's a huge thing to just say we're going to do that real quick to save the earth from global warming. And yet that's the you know that's <laughs> yeah, this is what they're saying. So it's it's really appalling. Yeah.
7: That's really interesting because I did, I did uh, listen to some excerpts on it, and every single excerpt I heard from every, quote, world leader, and I use that term very loosely, <laughs> is that they were all talking about money and tariffs and how much they, this would save or cost, or it was about the negotiation of the economics of it, uh, which is, a con- again, control. It has nothing to do with the environment wasn't really even mentioned in any of the parts that I listened to with that. And um, I have to say, you know, like the, the, the Paris Accord, that one, again, was not about the environment or climate change. It was about uh, controlling co- countries and, and another. it was another way to tax the people and keep them in poverty. So I look at this and I go, well, I must be the only person looking at these accords and these things going on and realizing, I mean, I know I'm, I'm saying that in jest, I'm not the only person, but people think that it's about the environment. They think this is to save the environment and it's anything but it's actually very very dangerous for the environment and it's extraordinarily dangerous to the human population and by the way you know this this uh, pseudo meat and stuff you know it's full of uh things that we don't want in our bodies that make us extraordinarily unhealthy and as far as i can tell it has a lot of uh, the, the the alternatives have a lot of estrogen in them which don't make men very manly you know mm-hmm. I, it's a, this is an issue so um <laughs> Personally, I like them, yeah, the way they're designed no, to be, you know, <laughs> not, not the other way around. So <laughs> this is an issue. Yeah. So
9: yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. They are on the order of dog food and they're loaded with the phytoestrogens. They finally got some results from the the um, nutritional components of impossible burgers and just the, the estrogen content is off the charts. But, mm-hmm. um, and, and then just to, to finish that thought, you're right also that like to produce these plant-based burgers literally means we're going to just do away with tons and tons of, I mean, it's, it's, it's also bad for the earth. They're going to create these huge fields of monocropped GMO soybeans that are loaded in there to, to create these, these uh, plant-based foods. So it's not good for us and it's not good for the earth. So there's even the things that they claim, even the problems they claim they're solving are, are, are worsened by the yeah. by the, the tax that they're taking here. But, but that, again, this betrays the idea that it's not about that. This is because, We're in the Great Reset. This is part of that Great Reset. They call it the Great Food Transformation. The Rockefeller Foundation called it resetting the table, which you can Uh tell it's the tip of the hat to the Great Reset. All of these agendas are tied together and they all are well-funded and being executed and coordinated by the likes of the UN and the World Economic Forum and other Mm -hmm. think tanks. The Eat Lancet Commission, who's working hand-in-hand with the World Economic Forum, unveiled something they called the planetary health diet, which eliminates most animal source foods and puts you on those those bleeding burgers and the, the nasty GMO stuff. So yeah, it's about taking total control. And that's why they tell us openly that by 2030, that's only you know eight and a half years away now, you will own nothing, but you'll be happy. They're pretty open that this is an agenda for a completely new neo-feudalist society that they're building.
7: I would say, well, no, not the happy part, but you know, if you eat enough of those burgers and you have enough you know, if men have enough estrogen in them, and women have enough to disturb their, their 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 whole cycles, you know, you don't have reproduction. But mostly, you don't you have totally passive uh, people. They're they're pliable. Exactly. They they won't fight back. I think that's a lot of the problem we have going on right now. People are just dead ass asleep. What, you know, walking around, and it's because they're they're literally being poisoned, and they don't even realize that there's no there's no fight left in them. Yep. I'm not eating any of those damn burgers over here, by the way.
9: So, you're yeah. yeah, yeah. you're exactly right that's <laughs> why Bertrand Russell who was very much in these these circles told us you know years ago that it would be a combination of diet injections and injunctions that Whoa. conspired to form the kind of population that would not even be able to psychologically resist the totalitarian takeover so this is yeah this has been a long standing th- uh plan and of course Harry K- Henry Kissinger said if you control food you control people. So they, they've been pretty open about their uh, intentions to take over food and use it as a weapon to obtain total control.
7: Okay. Well, we're only about two minutes to the break, and I don't want to get into that, that topic, but that's a that's a great one right, right there. I, that's definitely one to come back to. But do you have anything that you can say in just those couple minutes as far as um, what we can do right now as far as the, you know, things we, we can do to fight back? We've about 90 seconds, so.
9: Yeah, sure. Let me just – we'll throw the break with this. The reason – for one, the reason that I'm focusing on it so much but also the reason I think that they are so hell-bent on taking over food and on preventing us from becoming self-sufficient in that regard is because it is actually very easy to grow your own food. And when you save seeds from what you're growing in your garden, it's just prolific. It, it positions you next season with all these seeds with which you can arm your neighbors and it just scales up very quickly. You know, there's some of these things like the perfect surveillance state. I really don't have a great way to fight against satellites that are monitoring us in real time. But with growing your own food, you can make a meaningful, impactful difference and you can do it quite quickly. So that's, that's the, the, the bottom line tonight is we all need to start growing food.
7: That's really great because I know, you know, when the whole pandemic thing rolled out. I remember Michigan, the governor of Michigan saying, uh, you know, she had all these restrictions and stuff. And then there was this total weirdness about you can't buy seeds. And I thought, what? I was scratching. Yep. It's like, now I understand it. Right. Absolutely.
9: <laughs> Whitmer. Yep. Yeah.
7: Yeah. Yeah. That's an evil bitch. OK, <laughs> we'll be right back after the break.
10: from the beginning, uh, if you look back to English history, the common law and equity both developed under different systems. Okay. The common law was originally always the, the original system of law which was biblically based and it was handed down orally from person to person over the years because there wasn't any, any printing press or writing until the middle ages, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas equity, however, what would happen is the common law at that time was extremely strict. Very, very harsh. And most people fail to, to realize the, uh, the strictness. For, and I know, for example, uh, one criminal charge sometimes can take four or five pages to lay it out of everyone. And if you missed a, a, a dotting an I, the, the guy could have the charge thrown out. So what developed? was eventually people who thought that the common law was too harsh would petition the king for redress and then the queen king i should say or queen would determine if they were going to have mercy on him and what they were going to do um sometimes they were thrown to the wind and said too bad you're out of luck, other times they would get redress and what would happen as more and more people started going to the king he couldn't handle the workload so he appointed it to the chancellor Mm -hmm. and that he started doing it which then became the court of cancer or equity and of course a number of principles developed in equity i think 12 or 13 of them now um, that developed over the years where it basically was a um, a separate form of, of law based on fairness and various principles that developed parallel to the common law and then early in the 1900s They were fused into one court because you had different courts, common law and you had Mm equity. And they fused them into one court where the same court would apply both systems of law. And if there was a conflict, and only if there was a conflict, the common law would prevail. Hi, I'm David Kevin Lindsay from Canada and I would urge everybody to be able to support the other side of the news with the news media all over the world essentially promoting the government narrative on virtually every issue out there everybody needs an alternative source of accurate truthful information and the other side of the news provides that information, that source of information from a variety of speakers all over the world with personal knowledge and experience that they can share with everybody in over 160 countries that they're involved in and that they go to, to show everybody in the world what they are doing to support and encourage everybody else to also stand up for freedom issues throughout the world. I would urge everybody on a regular basis to listen and support the other side of the news.
4: with this great reset, you're looking at Mr. Global Lone's efforts to move everybody into a cashless society, which you know, like it or not, that's a one-way mirror, folks. Because at that point you're not dealing with currency; you're dealing with a corporate coupon that they can adjust the value of at the push of a button, depending on whether or not you're good little boys and girls. And if you're getting into a system where all of the infrastructure of financial clearing is in the hands of the bankers, that's not a system you want to go into. You look at the West and more importantly, if you look at what some people call the Anglosphere, the the Western powers that are English speaking, the United Kingdom, Canada, United States, and so on, I do think it's the case there. They're using a health crisis, really, to drive a a political agenda, and the health crisis itself is largely blown way, way out of proportion to what's actually the case. If you look at what Mr. Globalone is up to, they are recreating slavery, and the the thing that is unique about slavery is they now have the means of perfecting the capital because now they can literally implant your body with the means to track you. It's not going to go away overnight. But there are already, uh, I think, some hopeful signs of cracks beginning to appear in the edifice. This is Joseph P. Farrell, and for all the news the media doesn't like you to hear, tune in to the other side of the news.
2: Welcome back to The Other Side of the News. I am Timothy Saunders, co-hosting with Annette Driscoll and Kintia. And our special guest this evening is Christian Westbrook, otherwise known as the Ice Age Farmer. Annette, you did leave us on a, an interesting point about uh, an evil witch. I think it was just before the music cut in, but perhaps we can come back to that later. Christian, I have uh, 100 questions for you straight up, but uh, we, d- we do not have 100 100- time for 100 questions unfortunately right now but one of the things I would like to ask on behalf of our listeners is this um, what can I say this this hidden strategy from the what I call the minority that's been very slowly you know boiling simmering the frog that's been creep, creeping up on us it has been crawling in the background and it's all kind of manifesting itself around us at the moment before we go into solutions um which again you just touched on before the break i would like to just sort of pan out if if we do not react if we do not wake up i say we collectively what does the next sort of year cycle of farming of food production look like for us what, what trends do you see where do you see it going
9: sure timothy so um they're pretty open about the idea that they want to shut down farming and ranching as it's known traditionally and because it's now dirty and dangerous there's been a lot of um, language using the idea of a zoonotic threat of course they really clung to that idea that the covid pandemic stemmed from a meat market and if you have keep your eye on some of these articles they're still saying it's because of meat that we're having these pandemics even anthony fauci put out a paper last year that said well, if you look back at the history of pandemics, it all started when we domesticated animals and began agriculture. So, so even he is right there. I mean, he works with Bill Gates, so it makes sense. But even, even at that level in his scientific papers, he's blaming traditional farming and ranching for this new environment of dangerous pandemics and, and, uh, that, we, that we have to deal with. And the Rockefeller Foundation's Reset the Table uh, document, their agenda that I mentioned briefly in the first section, Mm -hmm. really codifies that. It really establishes this bridge between, well, now that we've got a huge pandemic and we have to institute a, a worldwide medical martial law state, it turns out that what you eat affects your health. And so we also have to take control over all the production of food and over your diet and, uh, you know, take the meat away and and get rid of animal agriculture. And so they're they're marrying. It's an unholy alliance to marry these two things in your mind to make the case that they have to do this. And then, of course, uh, at the same time, it's being we're witnessing the the merger of big tech with big ag. You know, everyone knows that that. um, That there's only like five media companies that control almost anything you see on TV anymore. But the same thing has happened in agriculture. It's down to these big agribusiness giants, Bayer, Cargill, Syngenta, Corteva, that control like more than half of the human food supply. It's pretty stunning. And over decades now, they've been through mergers and acquisitions, buying up all the seed companies and taking control over the genetics of everything that grows on the planet. It's not a coincidence that Bill Gates is one of the biggest funders of the seed vaults right? where they take all these genetics and put them under the ice, even as they take them from us and give us instead the GMO Terminator seeds. You know, It's been a slow burn takeover of
2: agriculture. I was going to ask you about that. It's one of the, one of the 100 questions, but in Norway, I believe, there's an yeah. under-ice uh, seed store. And even I think recently, more recently, somebody was talking about taking a a collection of seeds to the moon or something along those lines. Uh Um, But certainly the one in Norway, uh, I have a friend who's actually visited there. He was um, invited and uh, shown around as sort of a day. He's a doctor. And he said it was absolutely amazing, absolutely fascinating the amount of money they spent there. But let's just zoom out a little bit. I mean, the whole point is to collect the world's current selection of seeds. To uh, under the guise of protecting them uh, and in order to protect us in the future. But if, we, if Bill Gates is behind this and he's also buying up the land and he's also investing in GM seeds and then con- helping to control the use of seeds and let me think what else, blocking out the sun
1: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, perpetrating a virus and then developing lots of vaccines that may or may not work let's not call them vaccines, actually, let's call them experimental mRNA uh, um, gene therapy. Uh, this is not really hidden under in plain sight anymore, is it? I mean, all, all roads lead to Rome.
9: Yeah, it's quite open. And I, I don't know if you saw, there were also articles about taking human sperm into space, like getting a ton of... of um, Samples and I mean that's like pan-spermia gone crazy. But uh, but no, you're 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 absolutely <laughs> right that uh, that that it doesn't really make sense for him to do this. Uh, on, superficially, the agenda there is that he wants to, and it's exactly what's happened in India through the Green Revolution. They want to go into um, and, and there's a new version of that sort of the Green Revolution 2.0 is called Gates Ag1, and it's highly funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates. The mission statement is all about how we must accelerate the deployment of new technologies to indigenous farmers, and it's going to help them with climate change, right? It all, again, it all ties back to that. Um, and we must go in and take their heirloom genetics away from them, right? These, these precious, uh, hardy, resilient seeds that have fed those people in various parts of the world for generations, for, for hundreds of generations in some cases, um, and replace them instead with newly genetically engineered CRISPR-modified, uh, bastardized. That's why I say they're defiling the food supply. There's a meat company, one of these fake meat companies is quite proud that they're going out and they're making what they call openly a DNA library. So we're going to take, you know, stork and flat, platypus and, and, and all these different things and we'll sort of pick and choose different parts of the DNA of, of different animals and we'll create these new meat experiences kinds of meats that we couldn't really eat right now because they're either illegal or it doesn't work at scale or the animals just don't exist, but we'll hybridize mm-hmm. them. And oh, you, know, you won't believe consumers, the wonderful mouthfeel we can deliver to you. So it's really, <laughs> it's
2: is, just is, disgusting. Yeah. Is, is this literally, I mean, I'm just trying to visualize, is this literally like a sort of a warm room, like a laboratory environment where you have like sort of giant Petri dishes with like sort of like, God knows what, some sort of flesh growing in there under controlled yeah. Yeah, uh, conditions with enzymes being injected and a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and you end up with some sort of, as you say, completely nastily bastardized burger coming out that's made of all sorts of God knows what. And that's people exactly, eat yeah. this.
9: Well, um, you're exactly right. It's, it's called cell-cultured meat. So they do their CRISPR modifications and then they get these new combinations of DNA that they merge with stem cells and then grow them out in these cultured. Fermentation vats—it's—it's it's pretty uh, mad scientist, yeah. But um, but the problem—and I just—we need to. I, I'd like to speak to this really quick. Shut the on. problem is that people don't want to eat that. It's just you know, <laughs> on its face, as we're laughing at it, it's because it's disgusting. And there was a study. There's been several studies, but there was one recently in Australia where even even Gen Z doesn't want to eat lab-grown meat even the most propagandized uh, blamed for climate change and you're killing the earth and it's gonna you, know, you have to change everything even they don't want to eat these bastardized lab-grown creations from ag tech as it's called and so this is why we now need to introduce the idea of a acute food crisis and i would suggest that they have engineered and we're staring right now down the barrel of this is the, the urgency in tonight's conversation Uh, of an engineered food shortage and they will use this food shortage which you're starting to see now around the world especially as the big bread baskets have started to experience crop failures and they're shutting down their exports of grains corn and soybean prices are rising precipitously that means that the countries that depend on those exports the net importers are all already experiencing food crises and so this is spreading around the world right now and what will happen as we You know, as we get through this, is you'll see the media and these think tanks and the UN, all these all these players will point at the problem. It's just the Hegelian dialectic again, right? They'll say, "Now you see, because of climate change, this Mm -hmm. is why we're having these food shortages, and of course the pandemic, and this is why, this is why we have to move." to indoor vertical farms and lab-grown meat, and this, you, there's no option. Now, now you feel the pain, and now you see why we've been doing this. We've, we've had your interests at heart the whole time. We're from the government. We're here to help, right? So the, 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 there, there's an acute crisis situation that we're now walking into, uh, and, uh, and that will be used to bring all of this nasty technology in.
2: Mm. I mean, there are also a, a lot of people on the planet who are vegan or vegetarian, and uh, I would imagine that all these sort of bastardized burgers are not going to be uh, on their perfect uh, dream dream type menu. So there are also a lot of f- factories being set up. I, I seem to remember you mentioning one of your podcasts, recent podcasts, you were talking about, I think it was one in, in France that was being set up and one in, I think, even in the UK as well. I say even because it's sort of my backyard, mm-hmm. um, which is producing bugs by the the trillion and the idea to sort of grind them up and create some sort of meat out of that as well is that true
9: oh it's absolutely true yeah and and you know if you look back at these headlines every few months you see it was at the time it was france is creating the world's largest insect farm and it's these AI powered, robotic driven clean rooms with insect bins and the little robot works on a schedule and goes and harvests the, the mealworms of the grasshoppers and crickets and then takes them. And, yeah, they grind it up into a insect protein at first, you know, because they did float this. In fact, even Whole Foods put on the shelves for a while some cricket snack bars. But as you can imagine, they, they just weren't that well received. Go figure. Um, and so they're sort of slowly introducing it right now. It's, it was for animal feed at first. And then just right now, actually, there's a, a pet food shortage, and they're it's the same same program exactly as what I just described. They're pointing at this pet food shortage and saying, well, it really doesn't make sense to take very valuable animal protein and just feed it to dogs and cats. So maybe we'll use insect protein here. And then once Fido, you know, once once everyone sort of acclimates to that idea that Fido is eating bugs, maybe I should too. They'll sort of ease on in these. You can you can really when you. When you know the agenda and look at their end state, their end goals, you can really um, decode all of these happenings that that you're mentioning. And if it doesn't make sense to you, if it doesn't make sense that they're criminalizing seed sales, if it doesn't make sense that they want you to register every animal you have on your farm, even in British Columbia, they said you need to register your honeybees. You know, they just want, they want total inventory of everything. Of course, this plays into Agenda 2030, the perfect awareness of all resources and economic activity on the planet. If, if what you're seeing in the world going on doesn't make sense, it's not reconciling, then you have to adjust the lens through which you're seeing reality. You have to change that paradigm and really embrace what the agenda is, and then you'll see that all this plays directly into it.
2: Christian, you mentioned bees there. I mean, that, that's been a topic we've mentioned in our, in our programs before. I mean, clearly there's either a disease or a sickness or a, a, a different behavioral pattern coming out with bees. Um, a lot of been dying off uh, unexpectedly. Do you, do you have a finger on what's going on there?
9: I mean, I could only speculate that it could be any one of or a confluence of huge electromagnetic radiation that's been introduced by us, um, or the neonics, a lot of pesticides, obviously, including Roundup um, glyphosate, have terrible effects on bees. So (laughs) any of these terrible, disgusting agricultural practices um, that we've been doing, I think, could, could be responsible, but certainly the confluence is just a disaster for all life,
2: us included. And, and bees are fundamental to the pollination, cross pollination of, of our crops.
9: Without a question, yeah. And this is, you know, this is another thing where if you it doesn't take a lot of space to keep bees. And this is something that I've recently added here. And I uh, my son loves doing it too. I got a little four foot tall beekeeper suit for him. It's pretty, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, but uh, this is something that, uh, yeah, you you can help by trying to keep. Uh, your own bees, and this is, uh, you know, honey is going to be very valuable in the future as the imports and exports are shutting down. So um, there's another little area where it's really easy for you to make an impactful difference by trying to keep bees, and uh, that helps with your garden production as well. Yeah,
2: Christian, I, I'm jumping all over your uh, your work. I have been listening for 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 many many months actually, and, and uh, I say enjoying it is is a strange word to choose, but I mean I do appreciate what. You're doing, you're researching, you're presenting, you're presenting a lot of information on a regular basis. And it, it has been really quite sort of blood curdling and how alarming how how these patterns are emerging, which which frankly I didn't see 12 months ago. Um, so I thank you for bringing my attention to these. And one uh, um, of the other veins of, of, of truth that you've brought forward is the pattern of um what can I say, agricultural um depots or, or production facilities or storage facilities that have just sort of been strangely burning up or being destroyed or taken out of use or computer systems going down and, and distribution centers. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about this this this, this sure. of uh of of yeah, the agenda that's unrolling?
9: Yeah. So I mean there are have um again this i think this ties into adjusting your lens to be able to see what's going on through their end goals of shutting down agriculture and the supply chains but if you look back at the last year there have been an abnormally high level of barns and farms and sugar in fact there were two sugar refineries this past week that burned down Um, uh, sugar refineries processing plants grain elevators uh, that have all been exploding and burning down i call it spontaneously combusting food supply the more one of the more noteworthy ones there was the the port of Beirut where there was a huge you know, this made big headlines. There was a huge explosion in their port there, but it took out their strategic grain reserves. And Lebanon is already struggling struggling with inflation, but that has just even further put the pedal to the metal on food inflation there. So they're really having some trouble there. But um but yeah, and another example would just be the supply chain. Because this, you know, it's not just uh growing food and 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 processing it but it's now the supply chain that moves it all around and gets it around the world to the people to the mouths that need it um so when you see the suez canal we mentioned earlier that to me definitely looked like a deliberate attack and one that has further exacerbated a lot of the um the problems in the supply chain containers not getting where they're supposed to get container shortages all of these things have created an environment where goods just aren't getting where they need to get. And this is actually making it, again, it ties back into the farmers now having trouble getting replacement parts for their tractors, not being able to get the fertilizer they need, fertilizer fertilizer prices have risen ridiculously, Um, and uh, not being able to move grains where they need to go. So I would say there's been a systematic series of attacks to disable our ability to keep food moving around the world as it has been lately.
2: I, I would wonder how much of it is actual uh, an actual problem in circulation, and some of it may be creating a perception of, of the problem. For example, you know this ever given uh, event where you know I actually I, I heard it first on on your channel, um, and I know Ines has done a lot of research into this as well. Um, but you know this this huge container ship, one of the largest, it's something on like the region of 400 meters, I believe, in, in length, mm. It's r- ridiculous. Um, mm. it, it it kind of traced on the navigation chart a huge uh, sort of phallic symbol, and then uh, I believe the the captain was went went ashore or went to another another mission, and then the uh, the harbour master came in and took it down the, the Suez Canal, uh, and then. Apparently, despite knowing you know, the currents and, and uh, the, the waterways, intimately managed to, what should we say, jackknife it across and block, block it up for the best part of a week. I mean, was that to highlight the potential problem in, in, in food circulation, not just food, but also cargo and other things as well? Or do you think there was more to it?
9: I missed the last part of the question, but I think the answer is yes. I think it's as usual with the kinds of events that the cryptocracy does. uh, There are many purposes served. So I think, yeah, I think they put their calling card on it by drawing their phallus of Osiris there, and then they shoved it straight into the Suez Canal. Um, This has the effect of further exacerbating all the supply chain difficulties that we've already been experiencing. Um, This is causing food insecurity around the world this makes the case. And there, you know immediately that, that next day, there were quote-unquote experts saying, well, it's, it doesn't work anymore. Shipping is just not really a good way to, to move goods anymore. We should be moving to trains, which of course, again, now we have to talk back about the, the zero carbon agenda says we have to shut down shipping because they burn gas and we, we just can't allow that anymore. So I think there's, it's, you know, as usual, there's, there's a, a few layers of meaning to that attack. Yeah.
2: I mean, those ships do burn inordinate amounts of of really dirty oil, heavy oil, actually. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, what we see within the sort of the uh, 12-mile coastal perimeter of of Kawa countries um, is a higher grade of fuel, which is burned usually. So they produce less smoke and less emissions uh, while they're in sight of landfall. But when they go out in the open sea, they just burn the dirty stuff. And they do create an incredible amount of pollution, uh, far more than, I don't know the exact number at the top of my head, but it's like sort of hundreds or thousands of cars, you know, uh, um, per per journey. I mean, we have hundreds of thousands of cars. I I know there's a statistic, I just don't know what it is at the top of my head, but it's a huge, colossal amount of uh, of pollution they create. So yes, I do believe that ships are uh, not the best way of uh, moving things around in terms of pollution. But on the other hand, now, from my day job, I know that there are all sorts of technologies available whereby the emissions can be cleaned up. I mean, on, on the, the yachts and the super yachts, the mega yachts I work on and design on, as I work on, I design, um, they they have all sorts of new systems brought in, new sorts of legislation, which um, uses urea to actually inject it into the fuel. And then you have a urea uh, processing system that's after the exhaust. And it does really, really clean the emissions up, uh, literally creating a clean ship. It costs more and uh you know, it takes up more space, but that's let's be honest, on a huge uh, cargo ship like the Ever Given, that's not really a big deal. Um but if you take away shipping and you know, air travel is well, I presumably, you know, severely reduced at the moment due to the COVID business. Mm-hmm then it kind of separates, fragments the planet into different countries. And I think one interesting uh, point is, is I believe, I, I don't know if this is a fact, but I believe that Russia, for example, has always put up a, uh, a big front and, and does not allow GM-modified uh, food and, and seeds into their, uh, into their, their society. Now, if, we're, if the world is going to become more fragmented then what, what do we see in the future? Will sort of one one continent have GM foods and, and, and uh, seeds and another one not have one? What, what do you think that will do in the future to trade?
9: That's a really good question. I'm not sure how Russia will play that long-term and where that will go. I do know, and I'm glad you mentioned, you know, that shipping is dirty because I want to step back and just say a lot of people will sort of say, well, Christian, what do you have against veganism or what do you have against, um, you know, plant based burgers or what do you have against cleaner energy cars? And, and you know, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination suggesting that, you know, like the the large scale animal agriculture, those cafos where they shove tons and tons of animals into a small space and shove them full of antibiotics. This is disgusting. No one in their right mind would advocate for that or would advocate for burning the dirty, I forget what they call it, it's like barrel oil or something. They have a word for the kind of oil you're talking about that they burn on the shipping, and it's its really dirty. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that these are good ideas, but to to say that these problems can only be solved by enslaving humanity and removing all freedoms. <laughs> That's the problem, right? To say that uh, veganism is good, so we must take meat away from everybody. That's where the argument breaks down. And so I think everyone should be able to choose what kind of diet they eat. I think everyone should have the freedom to grow your own food for your family. And those are the issues that I have with some of the choices they're making right now.
2: One of the arguments that, uh, that I've heard from, you know, which seem to sort of stack up, I was speaking with a friend uh, less than a year ago. He's uh, more or less vegetarian, and he was saying that, you know, the big argument is that there's a colossal amount of water used in the uh, in the lifespan of a cow. And so, when you sort of buy, or when you when a person buys a piece of meat or a hamburger, for example, it is not the cost for the hamburger is far less than the actual costs because that animal has consumed so much water through its life and water costs. So, so in a, in a way, the, the subsidizing the retail outlet, uh, to reduce the cost of the meat in order to make it affordable for us to buy. So it's kind of a vicious circle. It, am I touching the, you know, the right direction there? Or is this, am I completely seeing this lead?
9: There's there's, certainly there's a lot of propaganda that can be easy to to fall into the trap of believing. Um, There are also some academics that do really good looks at this and say, you know, the the numbers that they'll give you are deliberately skewed. For example, one that's often said is that um, the nutrient or or rather the the, you can produce more plants with less CO2 emissions than you can with meat because they have cow farts and these sorts of things. The problem is that they they don't look at um, calorie density. And so when you start to factor in caloric density of the foods relative to CO2, then animal source foods start to catch up pretty quick. And when you start to then look at nutrient density, well then meat is by far, in fact, fish especially is just by far eclipses uh, Mm -hmm. soybeans and these kinds of things for how much nutrient you can get into someone's body for, even for carbon emissions, which is a, you know, it's a a flawed measurement in the first place. Right. Um, But even playing by their rules, I think Animal Source Foods come out in advan- ahead there.
2: Christian, this is great information, but we need to come back after the break. You're listening mm-hmm. to the other side of the news, and we'll be back after the music.
5: that this organized crime system has been able to monopolize the media and has been able to uh, control the government and control perception on a wide scale is because it's the banks at the core And they've been given the privilege of creating money out of thin air using a technique called fractional reserve banking. Where the central banks backstop the money center banks to create money out of thin air. So when you go to get a loan, whether it's a mortgage or a car loan, that's not deposit money that they're loaning you.
1: Uh,
5: They just credit your account with some dollar credits and you're off to the races. And then you spend the rest of your life paying interest on a mortgage that somebody created out of thin air. And that's the reason why the bank is the largest building in every city on the planet, because they're making outrageous profits by getting to loan money at interest that they created out of thin air. This is Etienne de la Boise Squared, the author of Government's Biggest Scam in History, Exposed. And some of my favorite conversations are the ones that I have on the other side of the news. With Timothy, Annetta, and Cynthia. Thank you for doing what you do and providing the service that you provide.
7: Good evening, and welcome back to the other side of the news. Tonight's show is titled Hunger Games, and our guest is Christian Westbrook, and I'm here with my co-host, Timothy Saunders, and and I'm Annetta. Uh, We have had a really interesting conversation, at least terribly interesting to me. I have a ton of notes, a ton of questions. Um, So I'd like to go back to the idea of these... uh, these changes in the diet when we've been going on with that topic. Uh, so with the, the idea of nutrition, I remember I was in Bali and I was talking to some of the people there and they said, well, you know, they had come in with this new rice, um, a certain, I can't remember how many years back it was at that time. Uh, and they said, that they had had a lot of problems with nutrition. They had developed things like rickets and things like that. And I asked why I had, I had noticed some things about the people in Bali with nutritional issues. And this is how the topic came up. And they said, well, we had this rice. It was a native rice and they came in and they said, Oh, well, you know, you only get two seasons a year out of this rice. And we have this rice that grows a lot faster. It grows three seasons. We can get, we can get three seasons in a year. And uh, so we can have another, harvest of rice but the problem was the rice had no real nutrition in it so I wanted to talk about that how they're manipulating the food and uh what your what your feelings are on that and the idea that you know that we aren't really insectivores and things like that so
9: yeah so I I think you're right that they're you know it's it's clearly over the last few decades they've been, I would say, defiling the food supply, introducing these GMO changes. You might be referencing like the golden rice that was funded by the Rockefeller Foundation to try and help out with some of those nutrient deficiencies.
7: Yeah, well, I don't but think it was trying to help out. I mean, maybe it was. it was. It was one of the Rockefeller Foundations that I am referring to, yes. So
9: maybe mm-hmm. it is the
6: same thing, yeah.
9: So yeah, so they've they've been at the forefront, and it's actually interesting. In the reset the table document, they actually sort of they did a mea culpa. They were like, sorry, we kind of were focused on caloric production for a long time, but now we realize that nutrition really does play into it. Like we were saying before the break, it's it's that's why we now need to take total control over over diet is because it's of this uh, pandemic and the medical martial law. Um, so they're sort of reversing course and saying. We, we went the wrong way before, but trust us this time, we're going to go, we're going to fail forward. We're going to make even more changes instead of coming back to what had worked for humanity in indigenous diets forever. But um, I, I sort of hinted um, earlier in the show that it is by maximizing biodiversity in your diet, by growing lots of good, healthy crops, usually from heirloom genetics, that we get the real uh, that we maximize our nutritional density and our health. And when we get to these, we start talking about these CRISPR edited crops, they're, they're just not, they're not natural. And our bodies don't uh, receive them in the same way that they receive naturally grown crops. And so I think it's really um, it can be misleading to, to just when you when they boil it down to this reductionist view of oh there's more you know there's more vitamin a we we, we were able to get rice with beta carotene in it now so yay we're saving the world it's like well that's a very it's a very limited quantitative view of this especially in you know even just at that you know fundamental food level but particularly when you look at it through the lens of actually no one is able to save their seeds from that anymore. Now you have to come back and buy the the grains from Monsanto or or Syngenta every season now. And so most of the uh, things that they say they're doing that sound philanthropic, again, are all about actually taking control over the food supply.
7: Brings me exactly to the next topic, which is this CRISPR gene editing, which a lot of people don't understand, so they think that, um, I'm gonna talk just slightly, I I can't resist the, the vaccine issue. Uh, that you know we have these two mRNA, but we have AstraZeneca and Johnson Johnson that are CRISPR edited, and they, they people think, oh, it, it's not mRNA, so it's okay. Well, it's not. And, and here's a good example of how this works, and it, it makes you a genetically modified organism that also can't really use the food the same way because now you've been modified. I mean, it, it's a it's a complete um, change. I just wanted to say that. Just I mean, not, not that it really goes anywhere, but to understand that, the CRISPR technology. Actually, can you address that at all, the, the, how that works with food?
9: Uh, sure. So I mean, the CRISPR, in general, it's just taking the genetic sequencing and then going in and making some changes. They'd like you to believe that it's like using a scalpel and doing exactly the changes that they want with the genetic information, but in reality, it's more like a shotgun. And, in fact, there was a study that just came out this past week that acknowledged that uh, CRISPR edited genes uh, incidentally have tons of modifications elsewhere that were unintentional. So we really, I think the, the best way of saying this is we have no idea. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. This is God's domain and we shouldn't be tinkering with the genetics of plants and then shoving them into our bodies and trusting that these companies who have a terrible track record of safety and who I would posit have bad intentions at the core as well, um, I, I just don't understand how there can be any expectation that what they're doing is good here. But I have the same problem, you know, just stepping back. I have the same problem understanding how people can run out for ex- experimental injections and DNA oh, yeah. treatments. It blows yeah, I don't, my mind.
7: I don't, I don't get it. I mean, the one, like, for example, on the seeds, okay, we know that these seeds, they, they're sterile. All right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one of the, uh, one of the effects. Uh, maybe it's intentional in this case, but uh, – and I think it's intentional for humans too, actually, with their agenda mm-hmm. – but, you know, there's a sterility issue when you start modifying these genes and uh, that's why you can't uh, harvest your own seeds and, 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 you know, regrow these things. I mean, seriously, I do have this uh, this catalog sitting next to me and, and it, I mean, I drool over it because I love to cook and I look at all of these colors and I know when I use a lot of color uh, in cooking, you get a lot of nutrition, but you also get a lot of flavor and, and People don't even know how many variants are. They're so used to just this, I don't know, a radish looks like this. It's like, no, a radish doesn't look like that. There's there's hundreds of kinds of radishes um, it, it's all over the world. And we've been so bananas, you know, like we're, we're, we're using one little tiny species of bananas. And if anything happens to that, the whole banana crop goes down and our bananas are all, you know, from all around the world are are, are done for basically, right? We have virtually no other kind of bananas growing out there. Um, That's right. In fact, that
9: that is happening right with the Cavendish. There's there's a new disease that's saying, "Oh, this is going to wipe out bananas." They're frantically looking at other kinds of bananas that they can swap out to. And yeah, you're 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 dead on. Um, That's exactly what happens when you move into this monocropping at scale for anything. Without that biodiversity, you are incredibly fragile. You just it's it's not a good plan. But. um, But yeah, the the reason that that seed catalog is awesome, when you look at the names, yeah, the colors alone are awesome, but you look at the names and you see, you know, Uncle Jim's radish and, you know, grandma's potatoes and the mortgage lifter tomatoes that have that great story about a farmer who is about to lose his farm because of the mortgage, but he planted, he uh, saved seeds and sort of combined them over a few years and then created these new mortgage lifter varieties that saved his farm. And so they've got that name. Yeah. And the reason they have family names like that is because people used to understand that these genetics are true wealth. When you have tomatoes that uh, that you have grown on your own property for years, they or anything for that matter, they learn, they become it's called a land race. They sort of learn about when about the properties of your growing season and your soil and whatever is going on there and they really adjust to that. So plants when you save, this is the key, when you save the seeds from your own garden and then plant them next year they they do better and there are tales. Matt Powers is a guy who he's a permaculture teacher, and he tells this very um compelling story about getting some South American corn, some genetics there when I mean, they have a great growing season, and he took them even in california it was it was just a little too short to get a really good crop, but he he got just one ear of corn and and he saved the the seeds the the kernels from it, and he planted it next year, and that year it went ballistic and he got tons of yield and saved the seeds from that and it's doing even better. So when you, you know, uh are looking to start your garden, if you can, find you know, start locally. Find them from neighbors because those seeds are already they already know how to grow where you are. And they will do better, they'll grow better, they'll germinate better, they'll yield more. And uh it just it's it's a huge head start. And uh then you can look out from there. I also want to mention you can look, You know, there's a lot of seed libraries. Many local county libraries have done, you know, now that there's computers, they have these uh, card catalogs and sometimes they've been replaced with seed catalogs where you can go into the seed library and borrow some seeds and grow them out at home and maybe save some seeds and take them back at the end of the season to, re- to sort of replace those. But, uh, but there are other great places locally that you can be looking. A lot of uh, state schools will have county ag extensions. Where you can go and get free seeds, not to mention tons of tips about how to grow in your neck of the woods. They know, you know, these that's what they do. They know your soil and they talk about it all day. And I guarantee, people that have already been gardening for years, they're passionate about it. They want to share their seeds. They want to share the stories, and it's just so much more valuable rather than just getting a package of seed in the mail to get the story. Oh, this, you know, I grew this. It, it has, it really likes shade in the afternoon from the evening sun, right? These kinds of things. Uh, are really, really valuable. Um, so note, there's nothing wrong with getting seeds in the mail from a seed catalog, especially a, a, a heirloom genetics like Baker Creek has, but uh, but you will need to get them to acclimate. That first season will be spent getting them to, to, to learn where you are as opposed to Missouri, where they are. And that's fine, but um, to the extent you can, always start locally because those seeds will do better for you.
7: That's interesting. I did, I was not aware of that. That's, that's very interesting. I good to know hey i i also heard you talk about like how they were trying to force us or at least the the big food production to force people into uh vertical gardening and indoor gardening and and all that and and i have i'm kind of a geek not kind of i am so I, i really have been interested in all these different techniques of growing so if, a, if you're starting out, if you, you're listening to the show and you want to do some of that, is there a technique or a, a, a way of growing that helps with productivity, that helps with the nutritional content and helps beginning gardeners get going? Is there-
9: Absolutely. I would, I would say that the most important and fundamental part of this is soil husbandry. If you want to grow great food, you need to first grow great soil. And when I talk about this, you know, a lot. People don't have a lot of space to work with and they sort of turn off like, oh, I I can't, you know, I'm in an apartment. I can't do this. No, this is something that you can understand and use at any scale from kitchen, you know, herb gardens in the window to little uh, bags of soil on the top of your RV. Like I've heard from all sorts of people that get it to work in all sorts of ways. And the five things, there's five principles that really uh, encode the best way to, create environment where your soil can just go crazy and which in turn again makes your garden go crazy and those are to they're all about uh, creating a perfect environment for that soil life to thrive and it's keep the soil covered at all times you don't ever want wind and and sunlight to come down and bake the soil because it gets too hot and that kills off the life in your soil. And that's, that's what we're trying to protect here. So you want an armor, you want a layer of, of something covering the soil at all times, same sort of thing. You don't want to disturb the soil because that's going to kill off that life. So, you know, if you need to till your garden in the the first year just to even get it started, I understand. But after that it's best just to leave those guys alone and let them live down there. Cause there's tons, there's an entire ecosystem. I don't think we even fully under- appreciate all of the stuff that's going on in really rich soil ecosystems. So those two are about protecting it. Uh, keep it covered. Don't disturb it. You want to maximize the biodiversity. Again, it's something I mentioned earlier. If you've got um, just one kind of crop in your entire garden, there's not a lot going on there. But if you start mixing in different varieties, different things, not only are there often um, you know, good companion crops, like tomato and calendula do really well together. You can look into those sorts of things. But also, different plants are feeding different exudates. It's, that's how they uh you know they, they take the sunlight they're basically big solar panels right and they get the mm-hmm. energy of the sun and then they feed out this sugary nutrient rich it's called exudate into the soil and that feeds the soil it feeds all the bio life in the soil um, so keeping um, uh, maximizing the biodiversity of the plants that are in the ground and then keeping a living plant in the ground all year long even in the winter if you can plant some cover crop so the you know, again, so basically, so you always have some solar panel, <laughs> to use that analogy, they're feeding the soil. The, all of this is it, are, are the core principles of really creating uh, an environment, again, at any scale, where your soil life can just take off. And when you have really alive, hardy soil, it almost doesn't matter what you plant into, you're going to get really impressive results. So I, I always um, talk about those. That's That's the best place to start is work on your soil.
7: So, so you're not going to talk about like you wouldn't put someone towards hydroponics or something like that. I'm presuming with with this uh,
9: hydroponics. So that's a, that's a good question too. Um, I started growing in San Francisco where I wasn't a you know a tiny space. I didn't own it. I couldn't plant stuff. So I did start by learning hydroponics, and then the you know, my main complaint with hydroponics is it's just a sterile environment where you constantly depend on chemical inputs. That's it. You just, you know, Mm -hmm. every few days you come in and you put in the nutrient solution. Maybe you flush out the salts from time to time and it works. It works great, but that's kind of the extent of it. Um, When you go a little bit further and, and merge it with aquaculture and you start looking at aquaponics, then you arrive at a situation where there is, again, just like the soil, there is this entire very rich ecosystem Uh, Within your aquaponic system you've got your fish and you feed your fish and they eliminate basically the fish pee is what feeds the plants and they clean up the water for the fish and so it's this really elegant self-contained system a virtuous cycle of production and all you do is sort of feed the fish and uh, and you you get really uh, Gangbusters growth out of your plants and I'm sitting here by an aquaponics system right now even though I've I'm no longer in San Francisco just because it's I love it I love the fish I uh enjoy keeping it running and it's really it really works well for getting things to start and then transplant them out into the garden. So that's one reason I keep the aquaponics around. It's also just it's it's, a, it's like a printer for leafy greens. So I always have the kale and uh other uh greens going on in here and that means I can use my soil out in the garden to focus on calorie production.
2: Christian, could you just describe in a little bit sort of more layman's terms what you're you're looking at i mean is it is it like a huge fish tank or or is it is it like a, a part of your room or can you just describe for our listeners what that is
9: sure i mean you can do aquaponics at any scale it's it's really once you have that sort of core framework of uh fish somewhere so even for example some people will just take their their existing fish tank and they'll say dude christian i'm so tired of you know dumping partial water changes every However often I have to do this, and it's a big pain in the neck. It's like, well, if you just put a little tray with these net cups up top and then put some lettuce in there, the lettuce will um, will eat the nitrates out of your fish tank, and that that's that's why you do the the water changes is to get rid of the nitrates to build up, so that creates even at that very small scale just some some small herbs or whatever in your you know, goldfish tank in the kitchen is a, is a beautiful example of a of perfectly functional aquaponics system and a food production thing right there on your window. But yeah, it does scale up, as you sort of are, are hinting at, to larger, you know, 55 gallon uh, barrels of water or even some of those IBC totes. They're like 325 gallon. You can put a good amount of fish in there. And when you've got that kind of room in your tank to, to deal with, then you actually can get uh, a, an impactful yield in terms of tilapia or some other fish coming out of the, the aquaculture part of your aquaponics system. So that's that's pretty cool as well.
7: When I was a little girl, my dad set up this uh, tank. Actually, it was when I was an infant, he set up these tanks. And he taught me early on how to balance that thing with the, the nitrates and the fish and the, the plants in it. And uh, I never thought of that as aquaponics. He didn't explain that. That's what it was. But that's what it was. So mm-hmm. uh, even a little kid <laughs> can do that. Mm-hmm. It works. So I just wanted to say that. Go ahead, yeah, Timothy. Cool.
2: No, I, I'm. What I'm. I'm really just coming to is that I believe that uh, you know for, for so many decades or even hundreds of thousands of years, people have measured wealth in in money, in in you know uh, in status symbols, in in you know, cars, houses, and so on. But I think, you know, by the sound of what we're talking about this evening, it's not going to be very long before the new wealth is food. Um, and that absolutely is reflects, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy about where I'm living, the part of the world I'm living in. I'm living on a, a peninsula in southwest Turkey, um, where when you go to the sort of local markets, I mean, you're just absolutely baffled by the diversity of of the produce and and the size and the color and the texture. There's no wax on anything. Everything is organic just by the fact it comes out of the ground. There's there's no need for a processing plant to spray it in wax and wrap it up. And when I compare just the most simplest thing, like, you know, the taste of a tomato here, uh, which looks nothing like, or the size or color or shape of the ones I used to buy when I was living in Holland, for example, Um, there's just no comparison. In Holland, they're grown in... Greenhouses, uh, I believe they don't even have soil, as you say, they they live from fluids and chemicals. And yeah, they look perfectly round and they all look the same size, but they taste like water. Uh, The ones here taste like a a feast. Mm. Irregular, colors so bright, so deep. So, you know, I I think that, you know, if, if food and healthy food not just food i mean we can all eat food we can make a bag of chips or we can eat you know something that comes straight off a tree and it it brings nutrition to the body both uh i guess could be described as food but to be healthy and, and healthy body means a healthy immune system and a healthy immune system means we don't need all this sort of you know, uh, DNA altering shit that they're they're trying to push on us. Then all of this moving forward, it really says to me that food is wealth, and to be rich in the future, I think it's time to start planting.
9: And that's never been more true than right now, both because, as I am saying, we're entering engineered food shortages uh, so that they can force this whole food takeover agenda down our, quite literally down our throat, if you will. Um, But also because at the same time, we're in this extreme currency destruction mode. You know, the USD has been printed to ridiculous levels just over the last 12 months to fund the war on COVID and then the stimulus checks. So we're now really looking at a very dangerous situation between uh, a highly inflationary, if not literally hyperinflationary scenario, overlaid across a breakdown of the supply chain and then these engineered food shortages. So if, all of these things suggest to me that there is a sense of urgency. And so if, if I could just say as a call to action tonight, everyone really needs to start growing food, no matter how much space you have or how little experience, or if you say, I don't have a green thumb, it's, it's okay. I didn't, none of us do at first, but we got to start somewhere. And um, it's going to take all of us doing everything we can, whatever skill set or unique experience and background you have, it's needed right now to get through this acute situation we're entering into right now. And even beyond just growing food, if you're a lawyer, we need your help to try and roll back some of these regulations that are being placed on uh, producers and on farmers markets being shut down because of COVID, right? It's just, it's astounding. If you start looking at the totality of how they're, precluding us from standing up local food systems and local economies. Um, we, we, need, we need your involvement there. If you're a computer guy, we need your help to stand up websites for the farmers who've been disconnected from their markets. When the restaurants and schools shut down, a lot of farmers lost their distribution channels and they now have you know, lots of food. That's why we saw all the milk being dumped and food being wasted in the early days of the pandemic. So lawyers, computer guys, like there, there really is a role, I think, for everybody right now to come forward and help humanity get through these times
2: but i think also it's not just the specialists um christian it is also a massive choice because where where we the people the millions billions of people on the planet where we where we buy our produce uh is kind of giving a vote so Mm. you know if you have a dollar in your hand a year in your hand a turkish lira in your hand whatever it is if you're giving that to the big chains, the supermarket chains, which are run by sort of various forms of mafia. uh, And you're ending up with with food, which is, you know, sprayed with wax and worse, and it's chemically treated and wrapped up and pumped full of all sorts of crap to make it look good on the shelf for longer. Or if you go to a local producer or a local farmer or, you know, a a little village and say, can I just buy some of this from, as I say, somebody who's growing... their own own vegetable garden or salad garden, you can make a difference as well. We can make the difference. And uh, we need to do that.
9: Absolutely, I could not agree more. And <laughs> oddly the reason I I mentioned those two specialists is because it's often they who reach out and say, "Well, I really don't know about growing food. I do computer stuff." It's like, "No, even you, even you, even a lawyer, <laughs> we need your help right now too." Because a lot of people are like, "They're all right. I can I can do a little bit of gardening, maybe I can help out there." So, yes, everybody is needed right now. And I I I will say we're looking at a situation where the USDA is, is has been tasked under Biden with creating a, a net zero food system no carbon emissions and the FDA is rolling out these regulations that say we need extensive data in our uh and eventually to feed it into the blockchain of the GPS coordinates of where every piece of lettuce was grown so in its it's you know it ties back to your question a bit ago about what's the future of the food system it is very, I can't imagine it not happening the way they're going right now, where homemade food, homegrown food will become a black market situation. But uh, that's why we all have to start growing food and doing everything we can to forestall this.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, just to highlight something which is at the end of that uh, speech, which Dr. Plimmer gave earlier in my sound excerpt, which you can find the full speech uh, in my section of the links. You know, he said that, you know, look at the sacrifices that Australia, for example, now has to make in order to try and meet this uh, lower carbon emission uh, level, which has been, you know, hypothetically set by those that shouldn't be in, in control. Mm-hmm. And he said, just think, yeah, in about 10 years time, the whole world will be 0.000000, lots of other zeros, like one degree cooler than it would have been if we had not put this legislation through and it just really wraps this whole climate fiasco and climate hoax up Um, makes it just as as, as, you know unbelievable as this whole covid pandemic in my opinion and uh, it's time that we just stand with our feet on the ground slap ourselves in the face wake up and we need to drive our evolution forward. We need to drive, you know, using our power and our acumen and our discernment to return to the way we want to live on this planet, not be told by some nanny state. What can I say?
9: Yeah, absolutely, Timothy. And I know we're about to close. So I just want to say to to each of you, thanks again. I really appreciate you having me on to have this conversation tonight. It is, I think, the most important conversation that we can be having to ensure that we... Uh, retain seed freedom and food sovereignty into the future and uh, if folks are interested they can find my work at iceagefarmer.com and uh, and on telegram at t.me slash iceagefarmer
2: and uh, thanks again excellent well despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel there is an increasing number of respected journalists writers politicians doctors lawyers influencers artists activists and innovators who are wide awake and are already making all they require from you is to unplug from the mainstream media propaganda to make your own independent research to stop acquiescing and to stand up for what you believe in with respect to others remember you are born with power and you wake up each day with power it is entirely up to you how you choose to retain or give it away You've been listening to another live broadcast of The Other Side of the News. This 54th edition is entitled Hunger Games and remains available to all listeners free of charge at www.theothersideofmidnight.com forward slash TOSN. My name is Timothy Saunders, and together with co-host producer Kimthia and co-host researcher Annette Driscoll. Offer special thanks to our guest, Christian Westbrook, the Ice Age farmer. We wish you all a very positive week and look forward to reconnecting with you on our next edition next Friday good night